let's begin this evening, if you would, with a word of prayer. If you need tonight's lesson sheet, those are back on the Welcome Center. Make sure on the inside it says Lesson 10. That's the one that you want. The covers are all the same, and so make sure that you have tonight's date and Lesson 10. And uh, you can grab one while we're singing if you don't have one yet, but you'll need that for this evening. And then just by way of announcement tonight, next week, if you come next Wednesday night, it'll be a great time um, by yourself next Wednesday night. Uh, we will are moving our midweek service. Actually, I think our Spanish ministry has their Thanksgiving service on Wednesday night. So if you come Wednesday night, you can celebrate with them. Uh, but if you want to celebrate in here, uh, we'll do that Tuesday evening. The time is a little different. It's at 6.30. It's a little earlier than normal. And so if you just come uh, straight from work or however you need to get here, it'll be uh, 6.30. That'll give us a little bit more time. Uh, we'll have our service and just a time of uh, praise and give people the opportunity to uh, give a testimony about what God has done in their life recently and how He's working in them and just praise the Lord for His goodness. And then uh, we'll also have a dessert fellowship after. And so anybody <clears throat> that comes, we're asking you to bring uh, enough dessert for you and your family, maybe a little bit extra past that, and we'll uh, share them all around. That'll be next Tuesday night. At 6.30, we'll send out an email or something to try to help uh, remind you about that. But that'll be next Tuesday at uh, 6.30 in, in the evening. That'll be our midweek service. Let's open with a word of prayer, and uh, then we'll sing a few songs together. John Dorsey, would you open us in prayer tonight? Take your Bible tonight, if you would, and look at 1 Corinthians in the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, and if you have your notes there this evening, you take a look at that and open, you see that there's some spots for you to write some things down as hopefully the Lord teaches us as individuals what it is that He has for us. But if you would, look at 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll read there in just a moment. And um, important topic this evening. First Corinthians chapter 15. You know that we've been studying in our Wednesday evenings uh, what we have called this series Essentials, meaning Essentials of the Church. And in our lives, individually as Christians, and together as a church body, our local church, and then also the Church of Christ worldwide, what does the Bible teach is absolutely essential for us? And we have said so we sort of defined that in, in meaning what is essential means absolutely necessary. Uh, we've said that you, you can't do without this. If this is essential to our Christian faith, it means that without it, we don't have our Christian faith. They're absolutely essential to us as individuals and as a church. And we've addressed a number of topics, and we said sort of how we refined that. You know, isn't it interesting that in the Bible that there's no place, that there's a list that says, here are the 15 essentials of being a Christian. Here's the 10 essentials of the church. There's no direct list that just says you have to nail these eight things or 10 things, whatever it may be. And so there's, there's a number of ways that we could look at this, but really how we, for our context in our church, and, and looking at it this way, is 
what are the core things, some of the core things taught throughout the whole of Scripture, meaning from beginning to end, this is taught and implied all through the whole of Scripture, and it is told that it is important or essential for us. And again, it doesn't mean that things that don't fall in this list or these categories, that they're not important. There are other things that are important in our lives, but these things meaning that these are essential for us. And so what are they? We've talked about a number of different things. We said faith is essential, and the Bible tells us that very explicitly. It says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Uh, we talked about personal holiness, meaning that God is holy. And remember the verse that says, Be holy for I am holy. We talked about the authority of Scripture, that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's given for our learning and for our doctrine. That, and we talked about doctrine, that we base our teaching off of the authority of Scripture. And that is essential because it means that we're not just coming up with our own ideas and we're not just coming up with what we think is important, but we're submitting to what God tells us about himself and what God tells us about himself. And so we talked about doctrine, faith, holiness. Uh, we talked about evangelism and witnessing and discipleship. And we said the, the Bible makes that very clear that as individuals and then as a church, we are commanded to do that. It's the Great Commission that is given to us and that without obedience to that, we are not being what we're supposed to be as Christians and we're not doing what we're supposed to do as a church until we submit to those things. We've talked about a number of these essentials, but I want you to look at lesson number 10, and we've titled it there, All Rise, meaning that all will rise, but notice in how we said it more specifically, bodily resurrection of the Christian from the dead. And you'll see in a moment we actually speak to all human beings that have been created. All will rise, some to destruction, it says, and some to everlasting life. And so we believe that everyone will be called physically before the Lord to give their life, to give accountability for their life before Him, to be judged by their decision and how they followed the gospel or did not obey the gospel. But particularly tonight, we're speaking about the hope that Christians have in the bodily resurrection of us as people and as individuals. And notice you see there in the introduction, it says that there's many different things that separate the Christian faith from other man-made religions of the world, but maybe one of the most prominent, aside from us saying that our God came physical to this earth, that He died and He is risen, and that the leader of our faith, the Savior of our faith, is alive today, aside from that, maybe the most prominent belief that separates us from any other man-made faith or religion of the world is the promise that God gives for a literal bodily resurrection of people. And think about that for a moment. Think about other faiths that you know of in some way and that we base that on the resurrection of our Savior. And that makes that's a distinct mark of our Christian faith. Think about other religions. You may immediately think of something like Hinduism that says, there is a type of resurrection, but they would call it more of an incarnation, meaning you return in a different form, that you may be 
one human being in this life and upon death you become a different human being or a different type of living creature. And so it's not a resurrection of your physical body back to life, but rather it's a transfer of a spirit from one body to another. You think about uh, Buddhism or uh, some of the different Asian um, religions of, of from descent of that area of the world that focus on sort of an enlightened stage and that upon death you're sort of transferred away from your body, freed from your body, and then you dwell as a spirit or as a soul separate and distinct from the body forever. Even uh, Islam that has some elements of resurrection in it is different. They don't point to a resurrection of the body because of the resurrection of a Savior. Did you know it's interesting that they teach that Jesus did not actually die, but that God actually raised him before his death. And it's interesting how they teach those things. But for the most part, man-made or man-made faith or man-made based religions do not look to or have hope in a promised bodily resurrection. Meaning, if I die physically, then there will be a point where that body is raised forever for eternal life and given life again. That's what makes, one of the things that makes us distinct as Christians. It's taught all throughout the Scripture, mainly in the New Testament is where it's focused on, but you'll see it in the Old Testament as well. Ezekiel and Daniel teach it very explicitly. And we can't, of course, teach all of it in, in evening. So tonight I want to look mainly at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would. Let's read, starting in verse 35, and view and see through God's eyes why this is so important. Actually, the whole of the entire chapter is pretty much given to this thought or to this concept, and so you see that it's important. But if you would look at verse 35, and we'll read down and see what it says about it. But some men will say, How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? I want you to think for a moment that a lot of the uh, opponents, uh, I guess you'd say opponents or critics of Christian uh, faith or Christian doctrine, and you probably have experienced this in your life as well, that when you get to speaking about resurrection from the dead, there is very often a big hang-up at that point. Whether it's speaking of the resurrection of Jesus, that Jesus died, His body stopped living, and then it began to live again three days later. It was raised to life. And that we will die, and we all die, that all men are appointed once to die, but that one day we will be raised like Him. That is, that is a hang-up quite often for people. In fact, you see it in the New Testament where it says that when they heard of the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked, and even some went violently toward those that taught or preached that. Notice in verse number 36, Paul speaking says, Thou fool, that which thou sowest is not quickened, except it die. That word quicken there means, all throughout Scripture, where it says quickened, means brought to or given life, made to live. And so he's giving them an illustration. What is it? Verse 37. And that which thou sowest... Thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. It may, it may chance of wheat or some other grain, but God giveth it a body as it hath pleased him, and to every seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, bodies terrestrial, but the glory of the celestial is one. And the glory of the terrestrial is 
another. He's saying we are distinct from everything else. There's things that you look up in the heavens, you see the star, it's a type of body, if you would, a formation. You see other animals, you see things on earth, but the human body, it's speaking here, is distinct from all of those things. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. Now notice this, verse 42, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor, and it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. Every time he talks about something being sown here in this verse, he's given the illustration the same way you would sow a seed and it goes into the ground. When a physical body dies and is placed in the ground, it goes down in dishonor, and when it comes up for the Christian, it's in glory. When it goes down, it goes in weakness, but when it comes up, it is in power. Verse 44, it is sown in the natural body, but it is raised, it, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last man was made a quickening spirit. Howbeit, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. The first man is of the earth, earthy. The second is of the Lord from heaven. <clears throat> as, it is, er, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. As, and as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And we have borne the image of the earthy. We also shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this, I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither do, doth corruption inherit incorruption. So this is deep and full, and maybe in our minds a little confusing. We're going to try to walk through this this evening and ask the Lord to help us as he does. Father, thank you for your word. Teach it to us now, and we trust you for it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to look at the importance of this topic or this teaching, this essential of our faith. We believe that though our bodies die, they will be raised again to new life. Now, this is, ironically, in a way, this is not something that we often talk about. It's not something that we often, that we teach heavily, maybe on a weekly basis. But it is the very core of our Christian faith. It is absolutely what we believe. I think sometimes a little bit of our nervousness, nervousness is probably not the right word, but our deferment, in speaking about this amongst ourselves and thinking about it ourselves and even with others, what naturally makes us uncomfortable about talking about a dead body being raised is the thought about having to dwell and think about our own death. Like nobody really enjoys thinking and talking about that. You're saying it's 7.30 on a Wednesday evening, time change came, it's dark outside. The last thing I really want to sit down and contemplate in my life is the end of my physical life. But in actuality, the Bible teaches all throughout, it's the core of our Christian faith, that our bodies, though they die, through Christ will be resurrected. And it's important that we understand this. As we start, I want to just, we'll do a blitz intro as fast as we can, but to try to help us have a little bit of understanding with this. The Bible teaches that we are a three-part being. If you want to jot down a verse or a reference that's not there in your notes, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. 
1 Thessalonians 5, 23 says this, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole, notice this, spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Christ. Notice it says, uh, this thought about being raised from the dead speaks about body, soul, and spirit. So we are a three-part being. And I'll give you a few things, and you may not write them all down now, but you can jot down whatever stands out to you underneath each of these different parts of who we are. And though this concept may seem a little foreign to us at times because we're not always thinking about, it's very difficult for us as human beings to feel or sense the distinct nature, uh, the three natures of us as a being. We talk about God being a three-part being, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But we don't always talk about ourselves this way, but it's what the Bible teaches all throughout. It talks about the body and the soul, the body and the spirit. And so as we talk about these three things, first, the body, that's sort of a, a world consciousness. And what I mean by that is it's, it, it helps us relate. The body is what relates to physical creation. It's what you can see. It's what functions as a person or as a part of God's creation. This would include our five senses. I can see, hear, smell, touch, taste. It includes the function of our body, our nerves, our organs, our physical life. That's what makes up our body. And it is a unique thing. We are all created distinct and different from each other. And it's God that gives life to our body. Now that part is maybe the easiest for us to conceive because we can see it. And depending on how you have felt today, you can feel it. There are things that you say, well, yes, I know for sure that I am a person, that I'm living, and that I'm living in God's creation. But we are also this. We're also the soul, which is sort of a self-consciousness. That relates to my personality. That's my mind, my emotions, my will, what I believe. And this is unique as well, and it sort of establishes who you are as a person. Like, like there can be a body... But unless it has a soul for a human being, then it's not alive. It doesn't have something that makes it unique and distinct from all other things. And so the, the, the physical body is sort of the world consciousness. It relates to everything physically. But then the soul is sort of the self-consciousness. That's what makes me a, a person. That's my personality, if you would. Then you have the spirit, which is God consciousness. That's who I am, that God has created me to be conscious, to have communion, to have meet with Him, have meaning, to have purpose. And this as well is unique, which is different than some religions or faiths would pe preach that we're all part of one big spirit combined and we're just manifest in different ways with different bodies. But the Bible teaches that we are all uniquely, individually given body, soul, and spirit. We have all three. And you see those mentioned there in your notes. And so as you have this body, soul, and spirit, we start to think about that. Well, when I'm living on this earth, there is one of those that we live most prominently with as far as visually we can see, and that is the body. And the Bible teaches us that because of our sin, it brings about on the body death. That that was the promise of God to Adam and Eve, that if they disobeyed and they strayed from His will and His plan then the consequence of that sin would be death. First, physically, but then also there's a spiritual death, and we'll talk about that in a moment, a separation from him or from his favorable presence. 
And so you have that God created us in His image and that we are given body, soul, and spirit, but that because of our sin, just like we can most prominently see our, and, and act and live out with our bodies, we also most prominently see the effect of sin on the body and physical death. We don't always see what happens to the soul or the spirit because of sin, but we can definitely see what happens to the body. And because of that, the, the Bible consistently teaches about the bodily resurrection from the dead. Why is this important? Let's walk through this passage very quickly for a few minutes, if we would, tonight. I want you to notice a few things as we go. As we walk through it, I'll give you a couple diagrams or little illustrations. I, I, don't, I can't remember exactly which one this is from. You'll see a lot of places in the world that kind of, uh, not in a spiritual way, they say this is, it's interesting, even people outside of the Christian faith will make a distinction between body and soul, or even body, soul, and spirit. And often this is how it's illustrated, that you're a body and a soul and a spirit, and where all of those things intersect, that's what makes you, you. Problem with that is that's not exactly what Scripture teaches. It doesn't teach that you are a combination of those things. But in the same way that it tells us and teaches us that God is a spirit, that He is a spirit first, He is not a human being, He's not made with a body, He's not given hands and feet as it describes, but He is first a spirit, and then there are other parts of Him. In the same way, this is a better illustration of what we really are. That we are first a spirit created by God, given a soul and a body, that you are not part of that. Because if you think about yourself this way, well, what happens when the body's gone? Then it's like a part of you ceases to exist, or you don't exist in the way that you think you do. But in this way, it's just part of you as said. You're still who you are as a person. So we are spirit first, given by God a soul and a body. Now, let's look at the passage, if you would. And we're going to see an illustration right off the bat that Paul gives us. He says, some will say, verse 35, how are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? So if somebody dies, how in the world are they going to raise from the dead? And he gives us this illustration. It's important to note that what we know about the spirit and the soul and what happens in and through death is only given to us by divine revelation. There's no other way to know it. Science, if you would call it that, has not been able to identify and, and quantify what is a soul and what is a spirit. Science has not been able to prove and, and videotape someone's last moments and see what happens to the body and the soul and the spirit. There's no way of us knowing those things apart from what God teaches us in His Word. And so here's the illustration that he gives in verse 36. He says that that which thou sowest is not quickened except it die. He's actually giving an illustration that Jesus gave as well, saying unless a kernel of corn falls to the ground and dies, it won't live again. There's not life that comes from that. And in giving this illustration, he's speaking here, and you give an idea of grain, that there's individual distinct seeds. And what do they do? They fall to the ground, and when they're sown, in a way, it's death. The thing has died. It has fallen off, and it has stopped living. But within that... There's this germination process that begins, and it says it, begins, it dies, and that from its death, new life then springs up, and it is planted and then sown, and then it is quickened and brought into 
life. Notice in verse 36 and 37 again. He says, that, that which thou sowest, meaning when you put something in the ground, it doesn't live unless it first dies. Verse 37, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bare grain. He gives kind of the example. He says, you don't put, you don't go get a, current, a, a stalk of corn somewhere and dig that up in your farm and plant the whole stalk of corn. No, you put a kernel in. And what you put in is not exactly what comes out. It's something that is made new. Now, don't, don't, let me lose, lose you here. He's picturing here what we, happens to us when we die. That we die and we enter the ground, if you would look at it that way. We are buried in physical death. But that one day from that body, there will spring new life. And it will be from that same body, but will not be exactly the same. The body is uh, an amazing thing. And there's all these different facets and systems, but God promises to bring it back perfect. It will not be the exact same physical body that is resurrected, meaning the same exact cells and the same exact things from the same exact places, but you're already not like that. I read in studying this week, I came across, it says your body is made up of 25 trillion red blood corpuscles. I don't know exactly how that breaks down or how they counted that, but it says that they completely regenerate themselves or are remade every 120 days. Now let that sink in for a moment. That means that every 120 days, there's a whole part of you that goes away and is no longer there, and a whole part of you that is brand new. That's kind of the creepy, like if you think about it, that every 120 days, you're not the same person you were 120 days ago. I mean, that's a little odd, right? And, but in a way, it gives us a little bit of a picture. You think about the James River that's downtown in Richmond. Sometimes you may have gone down there, or you go to the Enon Bridge, you go somewhere to fish or to look at it, whatever it may be, and it's the James River. It's been there a very long time, like Pocahontas saw the James River. We saw the James River. You can go down and see it right now. But it is, is, it the, is it the same James River that it was like a week ago or a year ago or two years ago? Like when you go down and look at it, is any of the water that you're looking at the same that it was before? No, it's, it's still there, but it is something new. And that's not a perfect illustration, but it's an idea and an example that when we die, our physical bodies go away. But that one day God promises that from that, he will make us brand new. Notice, if you would, walk through the rest of the passage. It says, it says, but God giveth it a body as it pleased him to every seed his own body. Notice, it says all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men. And he gives the examples of the different kinds. Notice, number two, the resurrected body is a, is a physical and you, will be as physical and unique as the first. Again, we're kind of distinguishing what we think and what we believe from what a lot of other faith and religion believe. Some people believe that when we die, that we, or that when we're born in this world, we kind of come from a universal spirit, and that when we die, we'll go back to that kind of universal spirit, and we'll just be there forever. That's not what Scripture teaches. Notice it says in verse 38, it says, to every seed his own body. That means that when you die, the promise of resurrection is that you will be resurrected. That you won't live as part of something else or someone else, but you individually will be given new life. We have an example of that in Matthew chapter 17 on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now think about it. Who goes and is seen speaking with Jesus? Anybody remember on the Mount of Transfiguration? Who is it? Moses and Elijah, right? Now, Moses, why is this interesting? Because Moses was dead 
and Moses has been buried. So how is it that Moses is a distinct individual who is conscious and having a discussion with Jesus Christ? Well, it shows that we are more than just the body. Sometimes we kind of wonder about that. When we die and our bodies are buried, what is it that lives on? It's our spirit and our soul that live on. Is that unique and distinct? Well, there's an example in Scripture at the Mount of Transfiguration. There's other illustrations, but for instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we were dead in trespasses and sin, but we are made alive in Christ. I want to get to number three. Notice it says the resurrected body will be complete and perfect. Notice in verse 42 down, it says, so also is the resurrection of the dead. He says, what are we going to be like when we are raised from the dead? Said, notice it says that a sown in corruption is raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. This is where it gets exciting. All right? Let this sink in for a moment. This is where it gets exciting. The thing that goes down imperfect will come up in perfection. The thing that goes down corrupt will come up incorruptible. Sometimes, in it interesting, we try our best to hold on to life because it is dear. We try our best to hold on even to our own physical bodies. But God says he's going to make all those things new. I want you to think, if what notice it says death separates us from the old corruptible part of our being, our body, and when resurrected, we are made new, infused with the perfection of Christ, freed from the threat of corruption and from sin. Gives the example there on the second page. It talks about from whether it's from corruption to incorruption, from dishonor to glory. It gives the idea of coal. Did you know that coal and diamonds are made of exactly the same particles? They're both made of carbon. So at its very, very core, they're the same things. Now, why is it that diamonds are more expensive than coal? I don't suggest buying your wife a coal necklace or ring for Christmas and say, well, it's just, it's the same thing pretty much as a diamond. It's, it's exactly the same. No, they're not exactly the same. They are the same, but they are distinctly different. And if you look, I'm not a scientist and do not claim to be a scientist, but I can Google enough to make me dangerous. And so I looked today and it shows the different molecular structure of coal versus diamond. Coal is this random structure. It's like these layers of molecules that are all sort of sporadically put together and one layered right on top of the next. A diamond is carbon, but it is perfectly distinctly shaped. It has its own pattern that is very different one from the other. One is completely random and one is very distinct and organized. And so you have these two opposite things that look opposite but made in the core of the same. And here's what the Bible is teaching. You're going to die in your sin in corruption, and a body that is infiltrated by sin, that has been destroyed in that way, but you're going to come up with a body that has none of those limitations, that has none of those same problems, that is going to be put together perfectly. Same stuff, but perfected. And that's the way that the Bible teaches us. It says that we're from natural to spiritual, that the word natural here means soulish, or the part of our body that is distinct from what is spiritual, but that is our own personality, and that we'll finally be able to fully heed the Spirit. Notice it says the resurrected body will be characterized, number five, number four, characterized by the image of Jesus. Notice it gets even more exciting. So not only are we going to be better and perfected and without weakness 
and without corruption and without sin, it gets even better than that. Like, like if we were to say tonight, our Christian faith tells us that even if we die, we're going to be raised from the dead. And when we come back, we're going to be better. We're going to be perfected. No sickness, no sin, no threat of sin, no temptation of sin. All of that's going to be perfected. That's wonderful enough. But notice the identity that we take on. Verse 45. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, man, the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. First Adam, there's Adam, the first man created. The last Adam, he's speaking of Jesus, was made a quickening spirit. Bring, he can bring life. Adam was created and given life. Jesus came and gives life. Notice it says, Howbeit that was not first, which is spiritual, that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. He says we are one before we become the other. The first man of the earth is earthy, and this is where it can kind of be a mouthful. But notice the second man is the Lord from heaven. The first man was created by God. The second man, Jesus, came. He was and is God. And then notice verse 49. As we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. That is a pretty incredible promise. Now let's see what we mean by that. And for instance, in Genesis chapter number one or chapter number five, it says this: "This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man in the likeness of God made He him." That's pretty cool, right? We were created. Adam was created in the likeness of God. Don't let me lose you here. Adam's created in the likeness of God, but what happens? Male and female created He them and blessed them, called their name Adam in the day when they were created. Man is created in the image of God. Wonderful. We are in God's image. But what broke that? You can fill in the blank. Sin breaks that. Notice the change that happens. By the time that Adam and Eve have a son and they have sinned. Notice, and Adam lived 130 years and begat a son. Notice this, in whose likeness? His own likeness. Do you see the ramifications of what is broken? Adam's sin did not just affect his own life, it affected everyone born after him. So you have Adam and Eve made in God's image. Sin breaks that. We're no longer in God's image. Whose image are we in? We're just in man's image. We're just in Adam's image. We're just like he is. And we are sinners. What does Jesus do? He creates in us life that when we are resurrected, we are not raised to be in humankind image again, but we are raised just like the first Adam created in God's image, the way that he designed. Do you see that? Like, do you see the amazing promise in that? Wouldn't we think sometimes, wouldn't it be cool to be created as Adam and Eve, perfect, sinless, in the garden, in the image of God, communing with him? That would have been awesome. No, no, rephrase that. That will be awesome. That's what's going to happen to us through the sacrifice and, and the salvation of Jesus Christ. That we are right now in the likeness of Adam. We're in the likeness. We're humankind. But that when we are resurrected in Christ, we are like Jesus. We're not going to be even defined in this universe as, well, they are, I think it would be beyond that. It won't just be that. They're human. No, they are like Jesus. They're the Jesus creatures just like him in his image. Notice that when we are resurrected, we will be like him. You have the verse in Romans 8, verse 28, says that all things work together for good to them that love God. Well, what is that good? 
For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate. What did he, what did he decide for us? That we would be conformed to the image of his son. No longer sin and no longer pain and no longer Adam, but Jesus in perfection. So you say, I'm still confused. This is, I mean, I've been as excited about this verse as any other part of the sermon because this is a hefty situation tonight. Trying to pack this into 30 or 40 minutes is pretty difficult. But I've been as excited about this next part, this next verse, as anything else all night long because it's going to take care of all the questions that are brewing in your mind. You ready? 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know when we shall see him, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That answers the rest of our questions, right? So, so what are we going to be like when we're raised from the dead? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know all the ins and outs. You say, what's it going to be like to have a body not tempted by sin without the fear of death that is not corruptible? And we think, well, am I going to look like I did when I died? Or am I going to look like I did when I was like, Five, seven, you know, some of you are thinking, hmm, 19 to 21, I wish I could, I want to, that would be the prime, you know, that'd be prime Dan Hoffman, would be 19 to 21 years old, if that's the one that comes back, we're in good shape, you know, I pick on, I can pick on him over everybody else, that, that's the one that we want, right, that, that, but what, what are we going to look like, we don't know, here's the important part, that when we see him, we're going to understand, we have been made just like him. That is glorious. Think of the relationship that Jesus has with his Father as the Son, the Beloved of God. We are going to be made like him. That's the glory of the resurrection. Not that we just get to live again, and not that there's no more pain and sickness, but that there is no more separation from God. Think about when Jesus walked on this earth. It's amazing. It, like The disciples were amazed by it. He just walks, he communes with his father and he speaks to him but at the same time he's here and on this earth and and there's this nature that jesus had that seems so different than everyone around him we will have in a way that nature it'll be given to us in christ he said is the body going to be a real body that always is a question that comes up i didn't think you can answer that by what was jesus like when he was resurrected he ate people touched him he walked around, and people saw him. <laughs> That's a pretty good idea of what we're going to be like when we're resurrected. The eating is, that's cool that we keep to get doing that. We can still see each other. People knew him, right? People knew who he was. They recognized him, and we can expect all of the same in our resurrected body. Psalm 17, 15 says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. See, there's so much question behind this. What am I going to be like? I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this, or I don't know about living forever, or a body that lasts forever. I don't know about all this thing. It says, when I wake, I'm going to be satisfied, because I'll be in his likeness. Notice the final thing. The resurrected body will be given victory over the threat of death. Verse 50, down through the end of the chapter, verse 51. Behold, I'll show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall, or dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? 
O grave, where is thy victory? Whenever this happens, can you imagine as all the Christians join in victory and somebody's been dead a thousand years, their body's been dead a thousand years, somebody else their body's been dead 50 years, somebody else their body's been dead a hundred years, two thousand years, whatever it is, and they all just sort of turn around and look at each other and think, death has nothing on us. <laughs> the grave, I was in there a long time, some longer than the others, and it has no victory over my life and never can again and never will. In my own life, I don't have to fear it. And in the life of those around me and that I love, I don't have to fear it. It's a beautiful promise. Change from weakness to power, incorruptible to, uh, corruptible to incorruptible. Notice, the sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. So there will be no more sting. There will be no more sin. Thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice the application he gives, verse 58. He has a whole chapter about resurrected body in the future, and then he ties it all together. How do we live now because of it? Verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What does he say? One day you're going to be raised, and your body's going to be made new. The same person, you, you are going to be made new. You're going to be reunited, soul, spirit, body together forever. So how should that affect us right now? He says you serve the Lord. You labor, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord now in this body because when you're resurrected, that's exactly what you will do in that body. And we will live for eternity in that way. I'll close with one small illustration and be able to try to maybe help you picture this for some because it does become a hang-up for people at times. Well, I don't get it all. Who are we? How do we know we're going to be raised? And how can I trust that the Bible is true? I'll give you an example of what it is that we look like. Okay, I have three sheets of paper here. One, two, three. And we'll say that this is, we'll say this is spirit, this is soul, and this is body. Okay, we are all a spirit. We all have a soul, and we all have a body. And what happens in the course of our life? We'll say this is a spirit now. Before some of you hyperventilate, some of you people that don't like crumpled paper, I'm about to crumple the paper just so it all fits within itself. So let's say, this, I'm not destroying this, this is the spirit, right? This is the innermost part of your being. And your spirit has a soul, okay? And it's inside there. And your soul and spirit are and have a body, okay? So you have all in one. There's still three parts, but there's one distinct look to this. This comes to earth, but guess what the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2? That innermost being is dead. That it is dead in sins. Remember in John 3 where Jesus teaches Nicodemus, he says you have to be born again because your body was born, but what is inside is dead because of sin. And when we trust Christ, that inner being is given life. But this outer being, the body, is still corruptible. It's still plagued by sin. And there comes a point in life where eventually you shed that body. Soul and spirit are separated from the body. The body is then buried, put away. But the soul and spirit don't cease to exist. And if you are in Christ and have been made alive, 
you go to him. You go to the presence of God. If you have not been made alive in Christ, you have not trusted in the gospel, then you are separated from God. And we know that eventually and eternally you'll be judged in your sin in hell. Let's say that this represents your life, and in Christ you have been made alive, but you've been separated from your corruptible body, right? The Bible promises that one day, though you will go and dwell with him, that one day he will make even that body new again. And that when he does, you will return and be wrapped up in a new, living, perfected body. And as hard as that is for us to understand, it should give us ultimate hope. I know that tonight we have not expounded every aspect of what it is that we have hope in as a resurrected body, but I hope that we kind of skim the surface at least. And that we see that as Christians, it is essential that we look toward the future of a hope-filled, resurrected body. Why? Because it is God's promise to us for all of eternity. And I won't get so hung up on this body and what I can earn and what I can have and what things happen in this physical life, but rather I will look to the future. I will glorify God in the body he's given me now because he's going to give me a new body in the future. And we hope and look toward that coming day. Let's ask the Lord to help us and then we'll spend a few minutes in our prayer time tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. And um, we trust that it is true. And this portion of scripture that can be baffling to us since who are we and our individual man. And there's no way to really expound it all in one evening, but we simply claim to the promise that you have made to us that we will one day regardless of death here on this earth, that we will one day live again, given that our bodies will live again, given new life, new hope, new body, eternal presence of Christ without sin. And we are so thankful for that. And we pray that you teach us from it. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would look at the back of your prayer sheet tonight, and um, we've split up into different groups the last few weeks. Men and ladies have prayed together and then a couple times, friends, tonight we'll pray as families together. If you're not with somebody, look for a friend around you and join them for prayer time tonight. But if you're there with your kids, and take a couple prayer requests from your kids before you pray and then allow them to pray as well. But let's spend some time in prayer for our church. You see there are the ministries of our church and praying for discipleship and growth and winning others to Him. And then a few different names that are mentioned there that have been on there for uh, several weeks. I'll give you an update. At the very bottom there, it says that fam the family of Stephen uh, Trowell and praying for them. And I will tell you that his wife and kids were able to get home um, into the weekend. Uh, it took them till the weekend to get home from Iraq, but they are home. And so if you would uh, be in prayer for his wife's name is Jocelyn, and they have uh, three, um, three daughters and a, a toddler age son as well. And so we're in prayer for them. Uh, praying, you see Margaret Watson's name there, and she did have to go back into the hospital. And so if you would um, pray for her, a number of uh, different things going on. So give the doctors clarity uh, there for her as well. And then one add-on, if you would at the bottom, write down Peggy Wharton's name. Um, some of you may have heard she had a, a fall Monday, but really hadn't been feeling well uh, before that for a couple weeks and just thought it's kind of under the weather, and she went in. And she's in the hospital tonight. She has several things going on. Her blood pressure issues. She has COVID and 
um, an infection on top of all of that. And so if you would pray for her, she's um, feeling pretty sick and pretty weak at the moment. And so if you would just lift her up uh, in prayer as well. You see Margaret Nichols' name uh, this week. We are informed she had a um, cancer uh, diagnosis as well and is beginning uh, some treatment and not taking visitors at the moment, but please send a card if you need that information. We can get it to you if you contact um, the office as well. All right, let's spend uh, a few moments tonight in prayer. And you see there, uh, the prayer time focus at the top, the hope of the resurrection. We want to be praying through those things this week too. How can we pray um, with the mindset of Christ about each of these things? And we want to do that together. All right, so as a family, let's take four or five minutes and uh, pray tonight there at your seat and pray together. And then we'll be dismissed in prayer in just a moment.